Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's Word and apply it to our hearts so that we may learn His truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. Well, let me invite you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 8. We'll be finishing the chapter today, verses 48 through 59. John chapter 8. Verses 48 through 59. Allow me to read this passage to you. The Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? And Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. But I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died and the prophets also, and you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Surely you are not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our father. And... You have not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say that I do not know him, I will be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and saw it and was glad. And the Jews said to him, Are you not yet fifty years old and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Let's bow together. Lord, we pray again for, Lord, just your spirit to open our hearts and minds to the truth of these words. Lord, Jesus was attacked in so many ways and so many times. And Lord, help us to realize that we too, as your children, are under attack. Lord, we need to know how to deal with our enemy. Lord, guide us in this study. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Really looking at how do we deal with our enemies. Did y'all know that y'all have enemies as a, tr- as a child of God? Well, I hope so. Our problem is we live in the belt buckle of Bible belt. And so Christianity is pretty well settled here in, to a certain degree. A lot of people assume that just about everybody's a Christian or at least kind of acts like one or at least claims some kind of church affiliation. And to be honest, we really don't face a lot of persecution right here for being a Christian. Y'all do know that that's kind of an exception to the world around us. It's an exception to the United States in which we live. Christianity is being persecuted here and throughout the world. And we really need to learn how do we deal with our enemies. First thing is we have to identify our enemies. Well, the Bible talks about three main categories of enemies. First is Satan. The second is the world. And the third is the flesh. Well, Satan is the one who we, who God even says in his words is the, is the Lord of the earth. He's the prince of this earth. He has power and domain over the earth. And we know that he is real. We know that he is always looking for opportunities to tempt us and to lead us astray. And he and his demons are always at work trying to find ways to weaken us as children of God. 
And that's probably one of the areas that we fail to even realize is we may not feel that he's trying to kill us or destroy us or or get us into some deep sin, but he just simply simply wants to weaken us. He wants us just to be quiet, to not share our faith so that we're not affecting the world around us for Christ. And then there's the world itself, which is under the rule of Satan. The world around us is fleshly. It is self-centered. And like I said, here in the Bible Belt, we may not feel it as much, but the world hates God and hates Christ and hates Christians and will do anything they can to, to minimize the work of Christ, to make illegitimate the thoughts and the works of Christians, and they will do anything they can to, again, weaken us. Third one is us, the flesh. Each and every one of us born in the flesh. We are born enemies of God is what the Bible tells us, and we continue to have that flesh nature till the day that we but die, and we will constantly battle the flesh. Uh, the Bible says uh, we, we deal with the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the, prideful, uh, and the boastful pride of life. And that just simply means that we have a lot of greed, we have a lot of lust, we have a lot of self-pride. We have a lot of things that we battle as a child of God each and every day that's just naturally in, born into us. So those are really the, the simple categories of our enemies. But how do we deal with our enemies? I think the best thing to do is look at Jesus. How did Jesus deal with attacks? Every time that we looked at John, Jesus has been under attack by the Pharisees and religious leaders. Here he is again. And here's the simple thing that Jesus does when he deals with attacks. I think it's something we can do too. He tells the truth. He talks about the truth. He is the truth. Now, we're not Christ, but we have the truth in us. We find it in the Word of God. We find it in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the truth. And so Jesus is really sharing with them the gospel. He is the gospel. He is sharing with him that he is the Son of God. He is Messiah, the Savior. He has come to save them from their sins. He even says in this passage, anyone who keeps my words will not see death. This is the Savior speaking to them. So Jesus consistently tells them the truth, even if it means more and more conflict. See, Jesus doesn't worry about what other people think. Now, is that the same for us? See, we live in the world, right? The world around us says, You know, it's okay, whatever you believe, just keep it to yourself. As long as it doesn't infringe on what I believe, that's fine. But then they go behind us and say, well, do you know what that person believes? They believe that there's a God, that God created everything. They believe in this man named Jesus, that that he died on a cross to save them from their sins. They're blooming idiots, aren't they? And that makes us feel like nothing. That's the temptations we have, is that when we tell the truth, when we boldly stand for Christ, when we share the gospel, that's typically the kind of reaction we get from the world. Maybe not here in Macon or this part of Mississippi, but in most parts of the United States and just about all parts of the world, that's really the the mindset of those around you. 
So are we going to be more like Jesus and tell the truth? And the truth is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And not worry about what other people think about us. Not worry about how people respond to us or how they treat us. Um, I've shared with you all many times that I, I do a daily devotion. It's called Standing Strong Through the Storm. And it deals with the persecuted church. And one of the ministers of this organization had gone into a, uh, an area where there's tremendous Christian persecution. And he met with pastors. He thought he was there to encourage them. And they began telling, sharing all the persecution that they had gone through over that past year. Some of them had lost family members because they had been killed just simply because they were a child of God. Their homes had been burnt down. Their business, they had lost any jobs that they had because they were Christians. Just on and on the tragedies that they had faced. And then they started talking about how they battled the Satan. How they battled Satan. How they battled evil. How they continued to confront the evil that was in their communities. How they continued to preach the gospel no matter what it cost them. And then they turned to this man who was supposed to be there to encourage them and said, What scars do you have for Christ? What scars do you have for Christ? And he had to just say, I don't. I have basically have never been faced with persecution either faced. I've never had my life threatened. No one in my family has ever died because they were a child of God. I've never lost a job because of my Christian faith. I've never faced the adversity that you faced. It made him realize, are we not doing enough to cause enemies against us? Are we so silent with our faith that nobody says, you need to shut up. You need to go away. You need to leave me alone. I don't want you around me anymore. Are we afraid to share our faith in our businesses where we're afraid we might lose our job or, or not get the next promotion? Well, Jesus didn't worry about what other people thought about him. And if you look at his apostles, those who followed him, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, they didn't care either. They went wherever they needed to go. They got arrested. They got beaten. They got stoned. They got mistreated in multiple ways. I'm afraid that we're not willing to do that. We're not willing to face the consequences of telling the truth. But here's Jesus. Let's kind of get into the meat of it. Jesus was not concerned about telling the truth. He is the truth. He is the gospel. So the Pharisees began to attack him. Uh, do y'all remember maybe in elementary school when you know kids would always find some kind of a name that they would call you and it was not a nice name? You know... We call it bullying today, name-calling. Well, that's basically what the Pharisees decided they would do. They decided to start calling Jesus' names. They said, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and that you have a demon? Well, you got to understand, calling somebody a Samaritan if you're a Jew was a pretty good slap in the face. Why? Who were the Samaritans? Well, just to try to give you a little brief uh, introduction of the Samaritans. When the northern kingdom of uh, Jewish people taken in captivity by Syria, there were a few that remained in that area. They weren't taken. They, they were scattered around. Now, Syria did something that was unique. 
Whenever they took people out of an area, they put other people in. Other people they had conquered, they had put them into that area. And these were pagan people, pe- people who worshipped other gods. And so this re- remnant of the Jews who still lived there began to intermarry with these pagans. Now, they still worshipped Jehovah, but they also worshipped tons of other gods. And so many years later, after the Babylonians had taken the southern kingdom... The remnant started coming back out of Babylon, back to Jerusalem, to rebuild the walls and to rebuild the temple. Well, these Samaritans, these half-breeds, these somewhat Jewish people, came and said, let's help you. Let us help you. They said, no, you are half-breeds. You are not like us. You worship other gods. And they kicked them back out. And so from that day forward, there was basically a feud between the Samaritans and the Jews. And it get worse and worse and worse through the years. And in Jesus' day, the Jews would not associate with Samaritan people at all. Even if they needed to go up to Galilee, the quickest, most direct route was go straight north, straight through Samaria. But they wouldn't go that way. They would either go east and cross the Jordan River and up the Jordan River, then back across the Jordan River into Galilee, or they'd go all the way over to the Mediterranean Sea and then up and around. That's how much they despised each other. Now, these, quote, religious leaders just called Jesus a Samaritan. Jesus didn't even flinch. He didn't even respond to that. They said, oh, you also have a demon. Now, why would they say that he has a demon? Well, for a number of different reasons. He had cast out demons, and they said, well, you must be a, a demon yourself to have that power to cast out another demon. We know that's false. But they also associated insanity with being demon-possessed. And so they're basically saying that Jesus was insane for the things that he was saying. And Jesus basically says, I do not have a demon. Here's why. Because obviously I cannot have a demon because I do everything I say that I do to honor God the Father. A demon would not want honor going to God. And so, with simple words, simply stating the truth, he says, my entire life is for one purpose, to obey and honor the Father. He says, you do not do that. He says, I'm not seeking honor and glory for myself, but you do it on a regular basis. We have so much evidence of that. The the Pharisees would go out on on the street corner where everybody could see them raise their hands to do their daily prayer. Boldly, so everyone could see them and hear them. They want to be seen and heard. Y'all remember that Pharisee that went into the temple? And there's a tax collector. And the Pharisee was boldly praying, I'm so glad I'm not like him. And all that man did was bow his head and say, Lord, I am a sinner. Forgive me. They were so pompous. When they gave their tithes, I shared last week... uh, They had large wooden boxes to collect, but they had these brass trumpets coming out of them. Y'all been in the stores where you can roll a penny around and it just make racket until it finally falls through? That's basically what these did. They would drop all their coins, clink, 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 and just listen to them rattle around until they got into the box. They did everything to be seen and heard. And Jesus says, I'm not here for honor and glory. There's one who will bring honor and glory to me, and that's the Father, but I'm not seeking it on my own. He says, you claim that he is your father, but he's not. 
said, if I said that he's not my father, then I would be a liar just like you are. But I'm not. He is my father. Then we get to verse 51. In this passage, there are two different passages that says, truly, truly. That word really means amen and amen. It is a marker where Jesus and whoever is speaking it says, listen up, listen up, this is important. So anytime you see the words truly, truly, whatever's past that is going to be important. Especially if it's in your Bible and you have a Bible with words in red. If it's in red, you really need to pay attention to it. Here's what Jesus says. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Now, we on this side of the cross, this side of his crucifixion, this side of his resurrection, know exactly what Jesus is talking about. He is talking about the eternal life that he wants to give believers. Now, these religious leaders, they had studied the law. They would studied the prophets. They had studied all the different foretellings of the Messiah. And yet they were so deliberately ignoring Jesus as being the Messiah that they refused to believe that he could be the one to give them eternal life. And so they, they basically said, wait a minute. You're saying that if somebody listens to the word of God, they'll never die? Well, how about Abraham? How about all the prophets? They all died. Surely they were listening to the word of God, weren't they? Surely they heard God. And they were living lives of obedience. Why did they die if hearing your words would keep them alive? Folks, we, we know the answer to that. It's not physical death that he's talking about. It's spiritual death. You and I will die one day, physically. Unless the Lord comes and takes us up into the clouds with him before that takes place. And it hadn't happened yet. But these religious leaders were either deliberately refusing to listen to Jesus or they were so spiritually deaf that they could not understand what he was saying. So they basically were saying, you know, our father Abraham died, the prophets died, but Jesus again talks about glory. He says, you know, I'm not here seeking my glory. Only God can give me that glory. And then he goes on and says, I wish that you knew God like I do. That he truly was your father and is your father. But he's saying in verse 56, Your father Abraham that you're talking about rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Huh. Jesus is saying that Abraham talked about him, saw him in his day, and was glad in what he saw. Now, y'all do understand Abraham lived some 2,000 plus years before Jesus. And Jesus is saying that Abraham saw him and was glad about it. Really? Here again, these blind, deaf Pharisees. Wait a minute. You're not even 50 years old. Jesus is probably in his very early 30s at this time. And you're claiming that you saw Abraham? Well, that's not what he claimed. He said, Abraham saw me. Here's another truly, truly. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. 
Now, we've already dealt with that phrase, I am. There's a number of I am statements in the book of John. This is the third one. We look and he says, before Abraham was, I am. Not I was, I am. The Jewish leaders knew exactly what he was saying. This refers back to uh, that passage in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, where God said to Moses when he asked, Who do I say that you are when I go before Pharaoh, before the people? And they ask, Who has sent you? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. That statement is the statement that we get the word Yahweh from. Jehovah God. God Almighty. So Jesus is boldly declaring, I am God. The truth. Did Jesus know what kind of response he would be getting? Did he care? Well, we know that the religious leaders have been trying to to arrest him in some form or fashion. If they had ever arrested him, he would have had a mock trial, and they would have killed him. But just as always, it doesn't mention it here, but his time was not yet come. But the religious leaders started gathering rocks to stone him to death. Why could they do that? Because they were the religious leaders. They, They knew the rules that the Jews were supposed to live by. Anyone who claimed to be God was blaspheming. And the penalty of blasphemy was death. So they basically said, we are the judge and the jury, and we have already found you guilty. And we're going to kill you right here, right now. But Jesus, since it was not yet his time, he basically disappeared, walked out of the temple. How did that happen? We have no idea. The Bible's not clear. Could it be that He just vanished into a crowd of others where they did not see him. Did he just make himself not be able to be seen? Could be that they're so busy trying to find the biggest rock to pick up that they didn't realize that he had walked away from them. We don't know. Was it supernatural or was it natural? I don't know. All I know is that Jesus didn't care what they thought. He told them the truth. What is that you're supposed to say I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Is that what's in our heart to do? How many opportunities do we have to tell the truth? And by the truth, I'm talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. How many opportunities do we have to share the truth? Well, what happens when we don't share the truth? Well, another person does not hear the truth. Or another group of people does not hear the truth. Do you remember what Jesus said last week? He says, there are many who are dying in their sins. And he's talking to these very religious leaders. You are dying in your sins. Why? Because they did not believe. It wasn't because Jesus wasn't telling them the truth. It's because they rejected the truth. There is something that's something we need to understand. We're here for a reason. It's not just to get up in the morning, 
brush our teeth, go to work, go to school, whatever your job, your situation is. Being retired, you may not have specific things you have to do each day. But it's not just to get up and live your life on a daily basis, all focused on what I want to do for myself. It is now, what am I going to do to serve God faithfully? And that means, God, show me your will for today and help me to be found faithful and obedient. If it means sharing the gospel with someone, open my mouth, give me the words to say, the right spirit in which to say it, the right opportunity in which to do it, and help me to share it. When God puts it on our hearts to share the gospel, we have then fulfilled his will. What happens after we share the gospel is between that person and God. It's no longer our responsibility. Now, God may put it on our hearts to continue to share, to continue to encourage, to continue to invite a person to church, whatever God's putting on your heart to do. But as we are obedient to God and they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, then the response between them and God, we have no control over that. Jesus didn't even have control over that. He tells these very religious leaders, you're dying and going to hell. And I'm telling you the truth to keep you from doing that. I shared a week or two ago that there is evidence that many of these priests did come to uh, saving knowledge of Jesus Christ over in Acts. It, when, after Pentecost, after the gospel was being preached, it states that many of the priests did come to belief in Christ. Praise the Lord, they did. But how many of them didn't? How many people in our community, in our families, are going to die in their sins because we're not sharing the truth? The simple truth. How do you share the truth? We've talked about it multiple, multiple times here. One of the simplest things is to share your personal testimony. How did God change your life? How did he save you? How did you come to a point in your life where you realized that you're a sinner and that you were dying in your sins and that if you didn't do anything about it, that you would go to hell? How did you receive that gift of salvation through Jesus Christ? What transformation did it take, did it make in your life? Who is in control of you now? How are you living differently today than you did before you became a child of God? That's your personal testimony. Each and every one of us has one. You share that with somebody and say, has anything like this ever happened to you? If they say, no, I can't say it has. Then you can say, well, let me share with you how it can. And you can share a very simple plan of salvation. I've laid out here on this communion table many times a simple plan of salvation like the Roman road where you could pick it up. I've got copies of it I could get to you. If you want to learn it, it's, you, can, you can memorize it in a week easily. And it's so simple to share. And you can use it as a tool that God would use to share Christ with others. Here's the simple thing. How many times have I not shared the gospel on a Sunday morning? Did you know that you can invite somebody into the walls of this church? If I see somebody that I don't recognize, I'm probably going to make sure that I share the plan of salvation somehow. I promise you that. Invite somebody to come. They're going to hear it. I'll be glad to counsel with them. If you know somebody that you want me to meet, talk to I'll be glad to do that. But here's Jesus. He is the truth, and he is sharing the truth. 
without any concerns of what other people think. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to to face the consequences of sharing the truth? It's not easy, is it? It's a whole lot easier for me to stand up here and talk about it than for me to actually go out and do it. It's easier for y'all to sit there and say, yeah, that's right, than to go out and do it. I understand that. But our world today is getting more and more vicious towards Christianity. Y'all do understand that, don't you? If you boldly proclaim Christ as your Savior, people are going to look at you and say, you're a moron. You really believe that kind of stuff? You really believe that there's a God who created you and created all this intricate world? Yeah, I do. You're stupid. You're an idiot. I can't believe that you believe that kind of stuff. Oh, you you think that this was written by God? No, that was written by man. It's just a made-up religion. You, you're really a moron, aren't you? That's what the world is telling us. And if we quote the Word of God, if we proclaim the Word of God, and we dare read a passage of Scripture that says that homosexuality is a sin... Oh, that's hate speech. Throw them away. Get them and arrest them. That's hate speech. Folks, we got made in the United States of America. You cannot claim to be a Christian in a lot of nations without risking your life. You go into North Korea and proclaim to be a child of God, you're going to be in a labor camp for the rest of your life, if not executed. What are we willing to face to tell the truth? In Mississippi, probably not much. We could boldly proclaim this on the street corner. People may roll their eyes at you. They may laugh at you. That's probably the worst that's going to happen. They may say a few names. This is the safest place in the world to share the gospel. And we're afraid to do it. We're afraid to tell the truth. Afraid of what somebody else might think about us. Jesus set a pretty good example, didn't he? He didn't care what other people thought. He simply shared the truth. Let's bow together. Dear Lord, your word is so incredible. Lord, it sees our weaknesses and shows us how to overcome them. Lord, one of our greatest weaknesses is to stand up in faith and to proclaim the truth of your gospel to a world that needs it desperately. Lord, we're afraid of what other people might think or say about us. We're afraid of how it might affect our stance in society. Lord, you never were afraid. Lord, your true followers did not fear what others thought or what might happen to them. Lord, help us to have that boldness. Lord, just to simply share the truth, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, just so people will hear and know the answer to salvation. But whether they accept it or not, It's not our responsibility. 
Our responsibility is just to share the truth. Help us, Lord, be found faithful to you, to your word, your will for our lives. Guide us, Lord, each and every day. Help us to be surrendered so that your Holy Spirit will be here, be heard in our hearts and our lives and that we may be obedient. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.